Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. episode 378 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday. It's November the 13th, and I am joined by no one on this evening, actually. The plan on today's podcast, I even teased it earlier in the weekend, was that I was going to be joined by Scott Coleman, my frequent co-host, pal, good friend, confidant, all those fun things. But unfortunately, uh, Scott is under the weather this evening. He has bronchitis. He could have probably jumped on the podcast. It would have been pretty excruciating to listen to, by all accounts. I have not talked to Scott. I have texted with Scott. And apparently, he cannot stop coughing and is not having a whole lot of fun at this, po- at this, at this moment in time. So I am jumping on the podcast solo. It has not been that long since I've gone solo on the podcast. I usually do this by myself probably once or twice a year on the main flagship show. And I also host a daily Atlanta Hawks podcast called Locked on Hawks that I do primarily by myself. So I do have some experience hosting podcasts on my own. But if you're a new listener, this podcast is not usually hosted by just me. It is usually myself and either Scott Coleman or Eric Cole. If you missed it last week, I talked to Eric extensively on this podcast and he announced on the show and other places that he's actually going to be leaving Battery Power at the end of the month. So it'll be a lot more of myself and Scott on the flagship show. So if you like us, you're in good shape. If you don't like us, my apologies. Uh, We still have multiple podcasts as well on the feed. We have The Daily Hammer, which is primarily hosted by Sean Coleman. Does a great job with these shorter, bite-sized episodes that he does multiple times a week and usually pretty much every day during the season. And uh, also we have the podcast to be named later, which is co-hosted by our fearless leader, Chris Willis, as well as Stephen Tolbert. And we also have Road to Atlanta on the minor league side. Eric is taking the branding of Road to Atlanta, but there'll be some minor league content for sure on this podcast feed. And we definitely encourage you to listen to the podcast as well as to subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms. It really does help us quite a bit. If you leave five-star ratings and reviews, tell a friend or two or three about the podcast as well. And also help us by just clicking around. Download download old episodes. I'm not above gaming the system at this point in time. We do appreciate all of the support on the podcast and we'll dive in now to what was actually a pretty busy week for the Braves. Uh, generally speaking, if no news had happened this week, I might have punted the show because of Scott's illness, but because there was a lot of stuff to cover, I wanted to at least give you guys a podcast to begin your week, and then we'll have more to come this week from Sean and myself and other places uh, over the next few days. So we'll dive in now to uh, sort of the biggest news items of the week itself, and uh, we'll start with the Jaco DeRizzi trade. The Braves moved on from Jaco DeRizzi in a trade to the Texas Rangers which you probably have already heard about at this point in time. But the Braves essentially traded Odorizzi and $10 million, crucially, to the Rangers in exchange for former Braves' first-round pick, Colby Allard. And essentially, what this comes down to is the Braves pretty much deciding that they would rather not have Jake Odorizzi for $2.5 million. Uh, We've covered the Odorizzi contract and sort of the weirdness of his player option in depth on the show but long story short, Odorizzi earned enough incentives and kind of crossed the threshold to be having a $12.5 million player option. He had about a $6.25 million opt-out. But once he decided to opt in, which is not a huge surprise, I thought there was at least a chance that he might opt out because of the way that uh, the market actually dictates and because he was guaranteed $6 million either way. But he ended up opting in and being traded as a result of that. And what it comes down to is the Braves decided to pay $10 million to the Rangers to take Odorizzi rather than paying Odorizzi $12.5 million. So they save about $2.5 million on the transaction. Uh, and it's pretty clear to me that they did not want Jake Odorizzi back for much of any cost going into the season. Because in a vacuum, if you can think about it this way, would you rather have Jake Odorizzi or $2.5 million? And honestly, even if you are not a big fan of Odorizzi, and I know most people are not, uh, at least around Braves country at this point in time, he is worth more than $2.5 million. 
in a vacuum. Now, this is not a vacuum. The Braves did just see him for about a half season. The Braves do have some considerable pitching depth with the four guys around the rotation that we talked about in previous uh, episodes with regard to Mike Soroka. They have Bryce Elder. They have Kyle Muller. And uh, they also have Ian Anderson uh, beyond anybody else they were to bring into the rotation. So uh, that's definitely context that's very important. I will just say this. This is kind of probably the last time that I'll talk about Odorizzi on this podcast, for at least for a long time. Uh, I don't love this choice in a vacuum just from a baseball perspective because while I don't think that Odorizzi is particularly good, let's just, let's just use as an example Fangraphs. Fangraphs, the last two seasons, had Jake Odorizzi being worth, quote-unquote, in their value metric based on dollars, about $10.1 million for this season and also $8.8 million in the 2021 season. Is that fantastic for a starting pitcher? No, it's not. But it's more than $2.5 million. It's more than $6 million, if you want to do the math on that. So he was not very good with the Braves. That's, there's no question about that. He had an ERA over five. He had one nice moment at the end of the season. He, he allowed nine home runs in 46 innings. So I understand there not being any enthusiasm around Odorizzi. And honestly, I don't have enthusiasm around Odorizzi. It's one of those things where I have found myself defending him because I think the reactions have been too strong, as I've shared on the podcast many times before, and we'll probably not do much more moving forward. But in general, baseball-wise, I don't think it's probably the best asset play to give away $10 million to have Odorizzi not be on your team for $12.5 million. Now, will that bite them? Probably not, because they do have some depth and they, and they can go out and get somebody else. I am not convinced the Braves will just stand pat with this group, as we'll come back to in a second. But that is the sort of the uh, the nuts and bolts of the, of the transaction. And I say all that to say, uh, the Rangers side of this, we don't really care about much, but it's a no-brainer yes for the Rangers, because they basically get a potential fourth or fifth starter for $2.5 million for one season. And if you're the Rangers and you're trying to win, that does make a lot of sense to them. Again, even if you don't think Odorizzi is very good, and I'm actually kind of on that side, I think he's not worth a ton of money, but he's worth more than $2.5 million on a one-year contract. So um, part of this evaluation, though, is about Colby Allard. So he's a relatable name to Braves fans. You you know him. You remember him. He was a first-round pick. He was covered ad nauseum on this podcast, both as the main show when he was a prospect. Eric and the guys broke him down quite a bit. But it's been a while. He is still only 25 years old, which is worth noting, but he's not really a prospect anymore. He's been in the major leagues for essentially four seasons, plus a, de- plus a debut in 2018. So he came up really early, really fast. That was part of his appeal is that he could come up pr- pretty quickly through the system. But this last season, Aller had a 7.29 ERA in the majors and 21 innings as a reliever for the Rangers. In the minors, he was actually a starter, but had a 4.65 ERA in AAA with a 5.73 FIP. That's not good anywhere across the board in 2022. The year before that, he had a 5.41 ERA with the Rangers and kind of a split role that included 17 starts and also some bullpen appearances along the way. Uh, this year, his stat cast numbers were pretty hideous. He was in the 30th percentile or worse in both velocity and spin rate. He has not really missed bats at all. He had a 21st percentile strikeout rate this year. He had an 8th percentile whiff rate. Those are very, very bad numbers. He has avoided walks. That's the that's sort of the positive thing about Alward at this point. But while he does have some prospect shine as a former first-round pick, and he is kind of young at 25 years old, um, my general baseline here is to not expect very much for Colby Allard. Um as we'll get into in a second, Alex Anthopoulos did mention him as a competitor in the rotation race. I think if the Braves are using Allard as a starter this year, things have gone pretty wrong. Now, I will say the Braves have an, have an aptitude, at least they have had an aptitude in the past, to have some guys come in and be better with the Braves than they have other places. Jesse Chavez, we'll talk about later in the podcast, is an example of this. Now, on the other side, there have been some guys who performed better elsewhere than when they have for the Braves. Like Kevin Gossman is probably the number one example of that. But this has been a trend. So it's not like foolproof. The Braves have done a good job with pitchers for sure, but they're not um, they're not bulletproof on this. So we'll see how they handle Allard moving forward. But I think of Allard personally, and I'm not trying to pick on him by any means, as a throw-in in this trade. It wouldn't shock me if the Rangers basically said you could have one of, you know, a list of players and the Braves chose Allard in part because he is familiar to them and also because, you know, he's a familiar name. They can kind of sell that as part of the transaction as well. We'll see, but uh, I am skeptical that he's going to help them a ton this year. We will see on all of that stuff. As for Anthopolis, who who did win on this stuff at the GM meetings out in Las Vegas right after the deal was actually done, he did say about Colby Aller that, that the Braves like him. He mentions there's, st- quote, still swing and miss if you look at the strikeout totals and so on, end quote. Uh, I don't want really to see that in the numbers, actually, but that's what he said to into a microphone. Uh, he, he, did, he did say that he uh, they have familiarity with him, which definitely matters. 
And they also said, uh, Anthopoulos did, that, uh, quote, when we traded him, we didn't want to trade him, end quote. That does make sense. They traded him a couple years ago. Um, I'm sure they didn't want to, but at the same time, he's not really done anything since leaving Atlanta to really scare you away um, from that trade being the right idea at this point in time. He did mention the five guys that I've sort of noted already, but Anderson, Muller, Elder, Soroka, and Allard as competing for the fifth starter spot. And there are four guys that are basically written in stone, barring a trade or an injury. And that, of course, is Max Freed. That is Kyle Wright, Special Strider, and then Charlie Morton back for a one-year a one-year deal as the four-starter. And Anthopoulos did say, and this is a good thing to kind of just remind everybody about, that, and this is a direct quote from Anthopoulos, quote, just because you win it out of spring doesn't mean you hold it, end quote. With regard to any spot, but especially fifth-starter spot, you basically need seven, eight, maybe nine starters in the modern Major League Baseball, we see that in recent years with the Braves, there's almost always a time of the season for every team where they have to go a little bit deeper than they want to into their pitching depth. And the Braves do have some pretty good depth there, even if you don't love any of these any of these guys individually. And honestly, I do not. But having four or five of them does increase your odds of getting some effective play from that fifth spot or the sixth spot, or however you want to look at that, throughout the season. He did use the, the term, quote, open competition, end quote. He did say, though, as I throw in at the end of this segment, that Anthopolis uses use the word, use the words, I should say, unless there's a trade or a signing, end quote. So, got some questions about this. I still think the Braves could, maybe even probably will, but certainly could, bring in somebody else. And I don't think it's going to be Jacob, Jacob DeGrom, who we'll come back to probably at some point later on the podcast. I don't think it's going to be a splashy name if I had to guess, but if I had to guess right now, the Braves probably bring in a veteran of some kind. Um, That's why kind of the going back to the Odorizzi thing, it could have just been Odorizzi as your veteran stopgap, less sexy name, but the Braves do tend to like these like one-year kind of pseudo flyers on some veteran guys. It was Drew Smiley a couple years ago. It was Odorizzi in the trade this year in midseason. They have tried this before. It was Cole Hamels. Obviously, that was more of a bigger, bigger name signing, but... I would not be surprised if Anthopoulos is still on the phone trying to find another guy to uh, sort of augment the rotation depth at this point in time. Anyway, that's all I have on that first transaction. I will get into some of the fallout of this being the competitive balance tax, though, and uh, there is some nuance about that that we'll get into in a moment. Before we get to that, though, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and before I get into the other transactions of the week... A few questions about the competitive balance tax that were asked to me on Twitter and other places and Battery Power's uh, Twitter handle at Battery Power SBM. Uh, part of the deal while I'm talking about this now is that Odorizzi, the $10 million the Braves are sending to Texas for Odorizzi still counts on the Braves' competitive balance tax ledger. And this is the first time that the Braves have ever been really dealing with the competitive balance tax. So a lot of questions from Braves fans about kind of what this is. Um, essentially, there is a line in the sand that under the new CBA, it's $233 million of competitive balance tax money as the line where if you stay under that, no penalties. If you go over that, you have to pay a little bit more money on every dollar that you spend. That is tier one. Tier two of the competitive balance tax, which is basically a luxury tax, um, tier two of that is $20 million above that, so 253 at that point in time. Basically, in tier one, which is where the Braves would probably have to be if they were to go over it, the team has to, has to pay about a 20% tax on any overage in the first year. And it's worth noting that if they do go over that first year, if it's not very much money. Like, if you go over by $10 million, it's only $2 million in extra money. That's not a lot of money. Um, but progressively, if the Braves are willing to spend and eager to spend into the tax multiple years in a row, if, by the second season, you're paying 30% on every dollar. By the third season in a row... on every dollar. So that's going to rack up a lot, and I'm sure Liberty Media is not necessarily excited about paying that extra money if they don't have to. Right now, at this very moment, the Braves' estimated CBT, aka Competitive Balance Tax Payroll, is about $222 million. That's at least projected by both COTS contracts 
and SpotTrack. I'm not a full-blown expert on this by any means, but I trust those publications. I tried to do some spot checking on those. It does make a lot of sense to me in the way they did that. I know Stephen Tolbert looked at this as well, um, front of the podcast and uh, co-host of, of the podcast to be named later, dug into this as well. So I'm going to use that as my at least my rough estimate right now of 222. That leaves the Braves only $11 million below the tax line without a shortstop because that, that does not include anything for Dansby Swanson. Now, one note here that's actually quite interesting for the Braves in particular because they have so many extensions is that the CBT is based on the average annual value of long-term contracts that you might have. So you can't like game the system on this necessarily as easily. For instance, the Braves have some guys who are making very little money now and making more money later. The number one example of this right now is Spencer Strider. The Braves um, are paying Strider very little next season, but he counts for about $10 million or more uh, against the tax because it's average annual value. Um, Riley is another example of this, where he's actually um, counting against, he's, he's counting more against the CBT threshold than he's actually going to be paid. Same with Michael Harris. Um, on the other side, Ronald Acuna, whose extension is starting to finally ramp up where he's paying, he's actually going to be making a little bit more money. Um, he's actually going to be making more in real dollars than he'll actually be counting against the CBT, ta- CBT tax because his deal, his deal was so long and for so cheap for the Braves. But the projection right now is about $170 million to the current players, about 25 or so million dollars for arbitration eligible guys. That's obviously a projection there. And then a few million more for pre-arb guys, et cetera, et cetera. You got the $10 million for Odorizzi. Um, I will say this, there was some interesting reporting here, and I, I have not heard anything about this, but I'm going to cite um, this source. Dave O'Brien of The Athletic was pretty defiant on Twitter and saying that he has been flat out told the Braves will not go over the luxury tax. Now, that's him on Twitter. He's, he did not write that that I have seen, and Twitter is different than actually writing it. But that's notable to me and that someone told Dave O'Brien that they would not go over the tax. Now, they would have to do some real limbo stuff to actually sign a big-ticket shortstop, whether it's Dansby or somebody else, and stay under. Because, again, they're only about $11 million under the, under the tax line right now with nothing at shortstop. Essentially, it, obviously they have Von Grissom, they have Orlando Garcia, but nothing else. And if they do, if they were to just stay put, no one would be happy with that, including me. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be some machinations. Maybe they'll try to get off Ozuna as part of this, although that'd be kind of hard to do because you have to pay him some money like, like they did with Odorizzi probably. Um, but anyway, long story short, and we'll do this uh, later on if we need to, to get into some more depth on this. The Braves, if they have a organizational decision to stay under the competitive balance tax, it will be hard for them to build the team that they want to build. Now, on the other hand, Terry McGurk has already said during the offseason that they plan to have a top five pre- top five payroll this year. That would be hard to do while also being under the tax line. And also, again, one more time, the year one penalty for being over the tax is pretty minimal. It's not going to cost them a whole lot of money to go over it. And uh, that number does rise season to season. And the Braves have some fortunate contracts um, to build around in the future. Uh, you know, they have the Morton contract that's kind of a big one right now. You have Ozuna making a lot of money, etc. So we'll see how that all rolls. But for now, uh, I will just keep, I'll just say I'm keeping an eye on the competitive balance tax threshold. And I know Braves fans are kind of asking for more information on that. But uh, yeah, the Braves are definitely, for the first time, looking at that number as a potential uh impact thing because they have they've been so far under it so far that's never really mattered to them now it's going to be at least part of the calculus moving forward okay back to the transactions the Braves signed 32 year old year old reliever Nick Anderson this week Anderson uh, this actually was reported first by Jeff Passan it was later announced by everyone um, it's a split deal it's a one-year deal he's making about $835,000 in the major leagues and about $180,000 in the minors so basically, this is essentially free. I know that's a lot of money in real life terms, but if you're if anything less than a million dollars is basically free when it comes to baseball salaries. Anderson is very good, at least has been very good in the recent past. He was excellent in 2019. He was excellent in 2020. And honestly, in the 2020 season, he was basically unhittable. He famously got leaned on, if you watch that playoff run, uh, he got leaned on a little bit too much by Tampa Bay during that playoff run, seemed to wear out and lose some effectiveness over the course of that postseason. And then since then, he's actually had some injuries. So six appearances in 2021, had a partial UCL tear. He had to recover from that. And then he had plantar fasciitis in his foot. The velocity was down for him when he was trying to pitch last year. So it's kind of similar to what the Braves did with Kirby Yates, although Yates was a much bigger investment and had been better. Yates had been maybe the best reliever in baseball at one point. So it's a little bit different on some level. This is much more of a pure flyer, whereas they actually 
guaranteed Kirby Yates some real money in the future. But it's another name to add to the bullpen. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. No no real harm done. If it does work out, Anderson can be a pretty interesting bullpen piece. So I like that move quite a bit. I don't have much to add right now. It'll be all about kind of what he looks like when he gets into spring training, what the velocity looks like, whether he's anything like he was a couple of years ago. But just the chance of that is worth the less than a million dollars of investment if he's in the major leagues. And if you if he doesn't make the team out of camp, it's a very, very small sum that you've guaranteed him and you move on from there. Um, speaking of bullpen moves, Jesse Chavez is back once again. We all love Jesse Chavez, a local Braves hero, part of the World Series championship team. Uh, he's going to be coming back for a deal that will pay him $1.2 million if he makes the regular season roster. That's a, again, pretty much free, like veteran minimum style kind of contract. Chavez has bounced around. Obviously, he's been traded a few times. He's been he's been awful recently with everyone other than the Braves. He was bad with the Angels. He was bad with the Cubs. And then as soon as he comes back to Atlanta, come on home, Jesse, he has been great again. He has a 2.72 ERA. Uh, sorry, th- that was his ERA from this year in 46 appearances for the Braves. He averaged more than four Ks per walk with his after returning to Atlanta last season. He did he did just turn 39 years old. He is not a young man by any means. But again, kind of similarly to Anderson, a little bit different because there's not there's less of an injury thing here. But Chavez, it's pretty much free. You bring him back. The vibes are great with him. Everyone loves Jesse Chavez. And if he doesn't have it in spring training, you can move on from him. It's very easy to go ahead and do that. But again, he's going to be 39 years old. If he looks the part, you keep him around. He's a great depth guy to have. If he's your 7th or 8th bullpen piece, you are in fantastic shape. At least the guy that he's been the last couple of years. And we know Snit loves him, so no real downside there. I would not be relying on Jesse Chavez going into the season. He's one of those guys like where you can't write him in pen in the bullpen because anytime you're a 39-year-old and you've been so shaky with other teams, you don't want to have too much confidence in him. But at the same time, you do like that partnership continuing if you are the Braves having him close by and him him and Anderson for the combined price of less than two million dollars uh, the odds are pretty good that one of them will return some value this year which is kind of all you want is to kind of just take flyers and bullpen guys uh, bullpens are notoriously variable in their effectiveness the variance is very very high on bullpens but the Braves have been able to keep it together for the last couple of years they still of course famously have um, some high-end guys. Now, Jansen's a free agent, of course, for the Braves, but they have Iglesias, who is a top 10 reliever in baseball, probably. AJ Minter is awesome. Um, they have all kinds of interesting names. Kirby Yates is going to be probably back to his old form, you would hope, if you were the Braves. You have Colin McHugh, who's very, very good. They have names upon names upon names. Even with the absence of Tyler Matzik, you have Luke Jackson nearing, potentially, to come back. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, more bullpen arms is always a good thing, and they were able to bring in a couple more for very cheap. We'll move on now from the transactions to other things. One of the topics that I got a lot of questions on was the projections from free agents. And they all kind of came out in the last few days. Like MLB Trade Rumors came out with their annual one. That used to be like the sort of the flagship one that's still out there. ESPN does their own. Fangraphs does their own. Uh, Mark Bowman gave some thoughts on, on, on Nesby Swanson. Um, I'm going to just kind of fly through these a little bit. Um, MLB TR projected everybody. So I'm going to give you a couple more context things there. But they had... Dansby signing for seven years and $154 million with either the Cubs or the Twins, based on whoever you asked. They have individual panelists that kind of give their own projections. No one, though, picked the Braves. That was kind of a surprise to me. Uh, in fact, multiple guys on MLB Trade Rumors did a full projection, and none of them gave the Braves any of the shortstops. So I'm not sure if they were just, like, oversigning that or if they were really making on Von Grissom or whatever, but that was an interesting sort of wrinkle there. ESPN projected six for 150 for Dansby, that's a little bit more, of course, annually. That's kind of in that Keith that Keith Law range we talked about last week on the podcast. Um, Keith Law has been optimistic, we'll say, about Dansby's market along the way. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs uh, projected six years and $144 million for Swanson, which is a totally fine investment based on what he's been so far. And Mark Bowman, who's closer to the situation, obviously, as a longtime Braves beat writer, MLB.com, etc., he, proje- he projected the Braves to, A, re-sign Swanson, and B, that the deal would be six years and $123 million. Now, that is a figure well below the national projections for Swanson. So because of that, at least in part, I would say that is a number where I believe Dansby might sign for that figure with the Braves. If he signs for that figure somewhere else, I'll be pretty surprised. 
because there's potentially a discount of some level for him to stay home. I'm not saying he's going to take one or whether he should take one. That's kind of an individual decision in my mind. Um, I'm not someone who's always going to say the guy should take less to stay back and stay home and all that stuff. Like, is this still a business on some level? But I will not fault him either for taking a discount if he wants to. But that 6 for 123 seems like a number that he's only going to sign, at least in my opinion, with the Braves for. Now, he might. We'll see. And Bowman's plugged in in a way that a lot of people are not. But uh, we'll see how that all kind of flows out. But certainly a kind of a wide range there, about $35 million in total salary range between those those four projection systems. And uh, the internal one closest to Atlanta was the lowest, which I, th- which I found pretty interesting along the way. Um, just for some context... Um, again, going back to MLB trade rumors, they projected the other three shortstops to get more, unsurprisingly, than Swanson. They had Carlos Correa going for nine years and 288. They had Trey Turner going for eight and 268. And they had Xander Bogarts going for seven and 189. So that's a lot of money for all those guys. Um, personally, of those three, I would prefer Correa. I think Correa is perennially underrated despite being highly rated he's very very good and still pretty young and he's always been able to provide value wherever he's been anyway those guys are all really good and we'll see where Davey signs um notably as well Kenley Jansen was projected by MLB trade rumors to not sign with the Braves no surprise there two for 26 if the Braves gave him that contract I think it'd be a mistake not any terrible one but when you already have Iglesias I I would not want to go more than a year on Jansen and going back again to the competitive balance tax if the Braves care about that they almost can't sign Kalen Jansen because, uh, and I'm not saying they should because, again, it's not my money. And I think with no salary cap, you should be aggressive when you're printing money, as the Braves have been the last couple of years. But if that is a concern for them, they cannot afford to invest eight figures in a reliever who has is still good in Kenley Jansen, but he's not as good as Iglesias. And I think the Braves have already kind of hopefully invested as much as they're probably going to invest high dollar wise in their bullpen for the season. Now, the only guys that were actually projected to the Braves by MLB trade rumors, were all pitchers. Corey Kluber, one year and $12 million. That's the perennial Braves, as I mentioned before earlier in the podcast, the perennial Braves one-year veteran starting pitcher move. That's more money that I think the Braves will probably pay this year, I would say. But at the same time, I do think that that's possible, that the Braves could give a deal like that to someone like Corey Kluber. Also, Taylor Rogers. A pitcher, three years, $30 million was projected by somebody. And then Adam Adovino, two for 14. Now, Adovino, that's probably not one I would do, uh, given the Braves situation. But that's all that was projected out there for the Braves. And again, no shortstops along the way. All right. Now, with all the newsy stuff out of the way, I'm going to dive in to some mailbag questions. And I do appreciate those coming. We will not always be able to answer all of them. In fact, I have a list that's too long for this podcast. And I'll have to skip some of these. But uh, we definitely welcome them, for sure, especially in the offseason when we have as much, as, have as much to talk about. Uh, Scott and I and others will answer the questions that come in. So fire them to us at Battery Power SBN on Twitter or at BT Roland on Twitter. We will get to as many as we possibly can on the podcast. First one comes from Jake, who says... Do you at least entertain the idea of keeping Manny Pena and rolling with the other catchers as your DH, especially if they splash money on someone like Trey Turner or Carlos Correa? So Anthopoulos, in speaking to the media at that same session in Las Vegas, did not close the door on paying and keeping three catchers. As a reminder, if you missed last week's podcast or something else, Manny Pena is still under contract on this team. He missed this year, basically, in its entirety, but he's making a decent chunk of change for for a backup catcher. And he did say, Anthopoulos did, that they signed Manny Pena for a, quote, player-specific thing, end quote, and they were not going to sign any other catcher last winter. He said they loved the framing, they loved the bat, the defense, the game calling, and they called him a tremendous teammate, as uh, referring to Manny Pena. So, uh, I like that signing when it happened. I think the, the Braves have been pretty good at catcher and finding these these gem types. Um, it can be very very valuable along the way. And I'm famous for saying this, but I'll say it again. I think backup catcher in particular, but really catcher overall, the baseline is so low across baseball. The Braves have been able to kind of maximize that and get advantage get advantages across the board. Now, this is an interesting circumstances because William Contreras is very very good, but he's also good enough where he's played some DH, and he's played even a little bit of a sprinkling in the outfield. So I think just noting this, Pena's going to be 36 years old in June. I don't know if he has a lot of trade value. The Braves could probably dump him if they wanted to, but there is some value to having an above-average backup catcher, which is what I think I believe that he actually is on your roster to go along with Darno, who's a good starter, and then Contreras. But the big thing is, will the Braves, can the Braves, should the Braves use Contreras frequently at DH? 
that is kind of the overarching question of the entire thing with Manny Pena and whether it makes sense to use three catchers on your roster on a permanent basis. Because if you go by this year, Contreras' bat is more than good enough to be a permanent DH, if not a frequent DH. A 138 WRC Plus this year for Contreras, 20 home runs, he slugged 504 in, in a less than 400 plate appearances. So he was on pace for like a full season number of like 30 homers, 500 plus slugging. And a catcher, that is like uber elite bat. At DH, it's like still very good. So you can't expect that to continue necessarily because we've not seen it for a larger sample size. But it's definitely not crazy at all. And I'm actually totally fine with it because there is a position player requirement you have to carry on your roster. There is a DH in place. It does make a little bit more sense than it usually did to have three catchers because at least one of them. And you know, Darno's bat at DH is nothing special, but he's totally fine there. So if you wanted to kind of turn your DH spot into a rotation of Darno and Contreras pretty much every day, that is not the worst idea in the world, given you already have Manny Pena on your roster. I think Contreras playing there more often than not is a good idea. The problem that with that is that he's still a young guy, and the Braves have said in the past that they definitely want to make sure that he keeps catching so that he can keep catching in the future. Because, you know, in a vacuum, you might be better off for this season alone just making Contreras into your full-time DH. But then he stops catching, maybe regresses defensively there, and when Darno eventually ages out and maybe leaves... I think the Braves still want Contreras to be able to catch down the line. So that's kind of your uh, give and take there on some level. But it does make sense to kind of the on, on paper aspects of this. The question is for Ryan Snicker, like, will you use Contreras enough to DH at DH to have it be worth your while? And also part of this calculus is that Marcelo Zuna is on this team. And if Marcelo Zuna is still on the team, he probably needs to play at DH at some point. Can you really kind of weigh that? And it's there's not it's not a bad problem to have like a bunch of good players, but of course Ozuna's not been a good player the last couple of years. And Contreras, you don't want to have him just be buried. There were times during the season this year when I was baffled at how little Contreras was playing. Down the stretch, even in the playoffs, we saw Contreras sit in a way that I did not really think was the was the correct deployment for your for the roster. Those are internal conversations that they're going to have to have about how they're going to use these guys. But I have no issue in a vacuum carrying all three catchers because Manny Pena is an above-average backup catcher. Darno is an above-average starting catcher. And Contreras is an above-average starting catcher, probably. And definitely an above-average bat in a vacuum, just no matter what the position is. So that's a very nice thing to have behind the plate. So that's my full answer for now. We'll have more on that in the future, I'm sure. But uh, I'd love to know what they're thinking behind the scenes. But that's all I got at this moment in time. Uh, next question comes from Brian, who says, Have you seen the strange trade stuff with Raul Acuna? And he says, MLB Network threw out that he could be a trade candidate and had some comments about his salary. So I missed this, to be honest. I tried to find it a little bit today on online. And it basically seems like people would like to trade Acuna. That's not anything new. There's always been kind of a fringe part of the fan base that's not a big fan of Ronald Acuna for whatever reason. That is very silly um, on its face. And I guess someone on MLB Network mentioned that Acuna might have a problem not making as much money as guys like Swanson and Riley and or Michael Harris or whoever else in the future. First of all, I would not worry about this at all, especially from an outside perspective. There is, a, of course, always a potential for a deal that is so far under market value like the Braves have with Acuna that he wouldn't be happy with it. But look, he signed the deal. That's part of it. And sometimes that's just the nature of the business. Now, when they signed that contract, I got yelled at, and I know that Eric and Scott did as well by some people for saying that it was a bad deal for Acuna because, look, he was guaranteed like $90, $100 million. And that's life-changing money. It's a ton of money. No one's saying otherwise. We definitely tried to give that side of the argument as well. But that is a deal that no matter what you think, Ronald Acuna. You could be as low on him as reasonably possible. That is still a grand slam deal for the Braves. That was super team friendly. It wasn't as bad as Ozzy Albee's deal, which is, by the way, like the deal that is set for the example of being terrible on the player side, not just for the Braves. Like This is a national thing. If you go by, I, I know I probably read more than or listen to more than most people do on the national baseball side, but if you are asking national observers and writers and podcasters what the worst player deal in baseball is, it might be Ozzy Albies. So that's part of the deal there. So it's not, it's not quite that bad, but that's part of this. It's like Acuna may not be thrilled with it, but like obviously he, they signed the deal and that's unfortunate for his side of things, but it is a lot of money. Anyway, as far as trading Acuna, that is not realistic in my experience. I don't think that's probably going to happen anytime soon. For one, and if you wanted to trade him, you'd be selling low on Acuna because he just had his worst season of his career. Um, not usually what you want to do from a value standpoint is to trade a guy at the bottom of his value. 
The other one, though, and, and the much more important one, I want to be very clear about that, the much more important factor is that Ronald Acuna, right now, is 24 years old and is a proven multi-year superstar on a ridiculously valuable contract. Uh, just for a example, the folks at Fangraphs did a trade value list in the middle of the season, so like late July, when he already wasn't playing that well this year and already had torn his ACL. So we already know about that. He was recovering, all that stuff. He was number two in baseball in trade value behind only Juan Franco. And they noted that it was it was very close between those guys. So And Franco's a lot younger, it's signed for longer, etc. So no matter what, Acuna is a absurdly valuable trade piece. I think he might be number one on my list in terms of most valuable players in the league moving forward on their contracts in terms of trade value. So they could certainly get an absurd return for him if things just for whatever reason fell apart behind the scenes or whatever would sort of would have to happen. They could trade him and get an absolute haul for him, as we saw with Juan Soto getting dealt. But Juan Soto was not extended. Juan Soto was in arbitration. Ronald Acuna is locked in through the 2028 season. There is still six years left on the Acuna contract if the Braves pick up club options at the end of it. So uh, he's not going anywhere, in my mind, unless something very, very strange happens. And uh, every time I see a Ronald Acuna trade discussion, I kind of roll my eyes, and uh, I'm still doing that right now with Ronald Acuna. Okay, uh, one more here from Chris with a K. It's not Chris Willis, I promise. He asks, is packaging one or two of the young arms a way to deal Ozuna and also save money, or is that too much to do considering you don't get much back in a trade? So a few questions about Ozuna have come in, of course, about trying to shed money, and it's kind of tricky. Number one, as we talked about before on the podcast, any money the Braves send out with Ozuna still counts against the luxury tax, so that's at least worth keeping in mind. And generally speaking, you don't want to have to pay guys to go away. Um, That's not always the best process in the world. What Chris outlined here is kind of a basketball-style deal where you kind of attach young players or cheap players to a bad contract to kind of even things out, even the scales a little bit on the deal. I don't love that. I don't hate it in a vacuum in some ways, but for a team that's trying to win now in a league with no salary cap, you'd almost be better just sending Ozuna home versus actually attaching good prospects to him to trade him. I don't know how realistic that all that stuff is, but one of the big questions of the entire offseason is basically what the plan is for Ozuna. What is leadership willing to do from McGurk to Anthopolis Everyone, everyone signing the checks. Like, what is what is the urgency level to trade him? What is the urgency level to not to, to not play him? Um, and what's on the roster? I think we've seen Snicker is going to use him on some level. Now he went away for a while during the season uh, and was not playing. But when, once he came back, Snicker is going to be tempted to use him. And look, he's not been very good the last couple of years. I've done this before. I'll quickly talk talk about how bad he's been on the field. Um, it's not been that long since he was a valuable hitter. Like 2020, he was awesome, which is at least, that's not that long ago. That's worth saying out loud. And the underlying metrics, his batted ball profile, it's still pretty solid. But over the last two seasons, he has been the player with the sixth worst Fangraphs war of any position player in baseball with a minimum of 700 player appearances across two seasons. So basically, of the guys who play enough to be called like kind of full-time or full-time players, he has been one of the worst players in baseball the last two seasons. He does have 30 home runs in 172 games. That's a pretty good ratio power-wise. But even with that, he has an 84 WRC+, which is well below league average. And for Marcelo Zuna, with his lack of defense and his lack of base running, he has to hit or he's not going to have any any value to you on the baseball field. Now, I do think that if you simulated the last two years a million times, his numbers will be better because his battle ball profile is better than his actual production has been. But he has to be a good hitter in order to play. And that's before you talk about anything off the field. And we've done that ad on the podcast. I'm not going to do that again today. But it all comes down to how much are they, A, willing to pay to get off of him, B, how much they actually want to get off of him, and then C, what the role is if he's on the team. Because if he's on the team, you either have to DH him regularly to try to just get some value out of him, or he becomes a 16, 17, $18 million bench bat on, on, in a league with a DH. And that isn't great either, but we'll see how they handle it. That's one of the questions that I, w- I would love to answer. As far as the trade is concerned that was proposed by Chris in the question, like I don't think that's a terrible idea. I also don't think that's a good idea for the Braves because, again, with a salary cap league like, like the NBA, it does a lot for you to clear a bad salary. In baseball, yeah, it helps you to avoid potentially some of the downside of CBT, 
um, especially if you're not attaching a ton of money to the contracts, but you should just pay the money. If you're the Braves, just pay the money. Either send him home or trade him uh, for something else is bad. I, I don't think you need to trade him for Patrick Corbin. That's one of those deals that was uh, floated out there in the last few weeks. But I would love to know what they want to do with Marcelo Zuna. It's probably not number one on my list of things that I would ask with True Serum to the higher-ups with the Braves. But it would be on my top five or ten list. I'm like, all right, tell me exactly what you think about Marcelo Zuna. Both from the off-field stuff to the baseball stuff to how much they want to pay him, uh, all that stuff. I would love to know more about that, and maybe we'll find some out, find out some more in the future. But for now, he's on your team, he's making a bunch of money, and he can only play two positions. And they are left field, badly, or DH. That's all you have, and that makes your roster building a little bit more challenging. Next question comes from Chris with a C, actually. So we went from Chris with a K to Chris with a C. Um, with the Braves and Ron Washington seeming to believe in Von Grissom playing shortstop and being a future star sooner rather than later, does that statement seem like the Braves might only sign a shortstop to a short-term deal? To be fair, Chris, I don't think anyone that I have seen has called Von Grissom a future star from the Braves. Now, they might believe that behind the scenes, but they have gotten some stuff out there, whether it's from leaks or comments or whatever, about Grissom being able to stick at shortstop long-term. That could be because they actually believe it. could be because they want to trade him. could be any, any level of thing. It doesn't do the Braves any good to say that he can't play there. That's for sure. I will freely admit that I'm not an expert on Von Grissom's defense in the way that like Eric would be or that Garrett would be about the guys that have seen him play a lot more than I have at minor league level. But all indications are from the numbers to what I've heard behind the scenes is that he's not going to be a good shortstop defensively at the major league level. Like He could be okay. I'm not saying he can't be. Guys can improve. He's still very young. But if I had to project, I would say he's going to be probably below average or worse at shortstop. I do like the bat, and the numbers were good this year in about 150 plate appearances. But he fell down, it fell off a cliff, I should say, down the stretch of the season. I don't think we know about his bat just yet at the major league level. I do think he's going to hit for sure, but I can't say how much he's going to hit, if that makes sense. And broadly speaking, I will be annoyed and share that annoyance on this podcast if the Braves try to cheap out and play Grissom or Arcia or something like that at shortstop this year. Um, that does not seem like a thing that a team should be doing after they sort of decided to print money and have talked about running a top five payroll. Like, yeah, if the Braves go crazy and sign Jacob DeGrom or make a huge splash in left field or do whatever, then maybe you go a little bit cheap and you and you try Vaughn at shortstop. That would not infuriate me. <laughs> but if they don't do those things and then still roll with Vaughn at shortstop, that wouldn't be great. So anyway, long story short, the question from Chris, he asked about the Braves going short-term short at shortstop. They could do that, I think. I don't see any of the top-tier guys. Like, there's a clear top four free agents that includes Dansby. Those guys are not going to likely sign a short-term deal. And if you look at the list of free agents, because he talked about signing, not trades, um, there are not really starters available beyond those, beyond those four guys. The closest thing that I can come up with is Elvis Andrews, who's still, like, capable, but he's a pretty unsexy option. And uh, I don't love that option beyond that. Um... Now, trading for a guy that's cheaper and under control makes some sense. The Braves don't have a ton of prospect capital, which is worth noting at this point in time. It's not the old days when the Braves had a ton of prospects to trade. They kind of gutted that a little bit in the last couple of years, both from graduations and also from trades. But uh, I don't think that's out of the question. Like, I know Stevens floated Willie Adamas out there a few times. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I will be annoyed if it's Vaughn and nothing else at shortstop this year. And that's not a slight at Vaughn. It's that this team kind of has high aspirations for the short term. And I think we still don't know enough about his defense in particular, and even the bat on some level to kind of know what we're going to get from Vaughn Grissom for this season alone. So he shouldn't impact things too, too much if it's up to me. Moving on from there. I think, yeah, I only have one more baseball question. So I'm going to answer that one now. It comes from Allen, who says, In a perfect world where money didn't matter at all, and you could sign exactly one free agent from outside the organization for the Braves. Who would it be? Interesting question from Alan. So personally, I think it's a three-player race in my mind. Just immediately answer the question. Um, those three players in no order are Jacob deGrom, Carlos Correa, and Aaron Judge. I think those are the three guys you can at least argue on behalf of. I'm going to cross off Correa for one reason. Because in the perfect world that Alan lays out, the Braves could just re-sign Dansby because he's still in the organization. <laughs> and while Correa is better than Dansby, uh, the gap is not huge there. It's at least not as big as it would be for, to go from other guys to other guys on this list. So best case scenario, I think you what you would do in this perfect world is just re-sign Dansby and then sign one of the other two guys on top of that. That's kind of a cheating answer. 
Um, and I do think I might take Correa, honestly, if you were to say, okay, part of this hypothetical is to is that you cannot sign Dansby, so you just have nothing at shortstop. I think there's actually a pretty good argument for Correa in that scenario because I think Correa is really undervalued and he's, he's younger than Judge, etc. But for now, I'm going to cross Correa off. So that makes it Judge against DeGrom. I would lean to Judge for a few reasons. You can't expect Judge to be as good as he was this year because he was probably the best offensive player that I have seen in my lifetime for a full season other than Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds has a video game for numbers for like a half decade. But crossing Bonds off, Judge this year was absolutely preposterous. He led the entire league in home runs, walks, runs scored, RBI, on-base percentage, total bases, slugging percentage, WRC+, OPS+. However you want to say it, like he was the best player in baseball at the plate anyway. The only guy, the only reason why, why he was even a conversation in the American League for MVP is because Shohei Otani is an alien. So Aaron Judge is the answer here. And part of that is because the Braves don't have a left fielder that you love right now. So the Braves could go from having their current spot in left field of Eddie Rosario or whatever else and going to Aaron Judge at that spot. Rolling out a everyday outfield of Aaron Judge, Michael Harris, and Ronald Acuna is just preposterous stuff. So if you could just go ahead and throw Aaron Judge in, Power, defensively, he's not anything great by any means, but in left field, he'd be fine. Uh, he's, he'd be better than what they have right now. He's better than Rosario and Ozuna in left field. Uh, DeGrom is the best pitcher in the league, in my mind, when he is healthy, but that last part is very important. He's not always healthy. In fact, he's not healthy all that much. And I think the Braves do have that, that pretty strong top four, where, yeah, if you throw the best of, of DeGrom in there, that'd be pretty terrifying. But I would lean position player, and I would take Aaron Judge. So I understand the question. It's a good one, I think. Um, but yeah, give me Aaron Judge, and I'll uh, I'll take the field on that one. Uh, if it's like any player in baseball, not free agent, I would take Shohei Otani. But because you said free agent in the question, Alan, I will take Aaron Judge. Last thing, this is a non-baseball kind of question from Jeff, who says, if you were to get a Braves jersey for someone or yourself for the holidays, who would you want, and what color jersey would you want? Kind of an off-the-wall thing. I usually like to end the podcast on the on these mailbag questions with a, a non-baseball one. It goes without saying, I'll just make it very clear, though. This is a personal fre- personal preference question for sure. Like, no one should take my answer as gospel. It's all about what you think, especially on, like, the color of the jersey and the style of the jerseys. I like the red, personally. Um, I'm still partial to the white and blue, like, Her- Hank Aaron-level throwbacks. Those are my favorite jerseys that the Braves have. Um, I would choose the blue over the white or gray. I'm not a huge white or gray guy. But anyway, all that, all that said, the player is actually... You have a ton of options. You know, a lot of teams in baseball... You might have like two or three logical options for a jersey purchase, but the Braves have a lot more than that. The one thing that I would stress on a jersey, though, because they're not cheap. I know like people have different kind of means, but no matter what, jerseys cost a lot of money, and hopefully that investment is a multi-year investment. So you don't want to buy a jersey of a guy who could leave in the near future, either by even either by trade or especially by free agency. So I would not be signing up for Dansby Swanson right now. Not that he is definitely leaving. I think he, if I had to guess, he probably stays, but. The risk there is too high for me to justify a Dansby jersey right now. Um, per, like Personally, for me, against, again, personal preference, Matt Olson would be higher for me than others because Matt Olson went to my high school, and uh, I know Matt Olson a little bit more than other people would. Um, so that obviously that has that personal allegiance factor here. If you were to go away from that, though, I think he's on the list of guys you can't go wrong with. I think with Ronald, you have Matt Olson, you have Austin Riley, you have Michael Harris, Strider, Ozzy, Max Freed, those are all really good. Kyle Wright, those are all really good, like long-term investment kind of jerseys. So I don't really have a, a final answer for you. I think I might take Ronald, but because I think he's the I think he's the best player, and also the guy who was he's signed he signed through six more years. He's not signed the longest, but I think I might go Ronald. You couldn't certainly argue against anybody else though, like Olson, Riley, Harris, Strider are all and Albies are all signed long-term. Max Freed's not signed as long. But it's really, really good, like a top-ten pitcher in baseball kind of level. So uh, can't go wrong here. Sorry, Jeff, maybe you wanted a more definitive answer, but that is all I got for you on that question. I'm sure people can sort of weigh in on the comments and the replies if they have a different answer about the jersey stuff. But uh, if you have the money, buy multiple. <laughs> I guess where I'll leave it there. Um, all right, that's enough for me on this solo podcast. I, I went longer than I expected to go because I got going a little bit here, like 45 minutes into a solo podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed the product on this Sunday into Monday. A couple of reminders here at the end of the podcast. One of them is that Rookie of the Year will be announced in the National League on Monday evening. So if you listen to this podcast after Monday, just know that I'm recording on Sunday and don't know the answer to this. I discussed it with Eric quite a bit last week on the show. 
in Cliff's Notes version, I would personally vote for Michael Harris very, very narrowly over Strider. But both are very deserving and should finish 1-2 in some order, but that'll be official as of Monday. Also, BatteryPower.com has a player review series going right now. Um, the entire roster, like everyone that did anything for the Braves this year, is being reviewed by Chris and everybody on the on the, on the site staff. Those are all a good, a sort of a good, informative look back, especially for guys that are coming back this year to sort of also look ahead. So check out all that stuff on the written platform. Um, that's very, very quality content all the way through. And I've written for a lot of different places, and I'll just say this, not every website can produce off-season content. Um, that's a challenge on some level, and Chris does a great job leading and shepherding that written stuff. And then uh, last thing, is another plea to subscribe to the podcast. So if you made it this far, you're probably a fan of the website or the podcast or something else or both. But I definitely encourage you, if not already, to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or TuneIn Radio or Podbean, any of those places, Overcast. Uh, we're definitely across the board. You can find us most places on the podcast side. If we can't be found at one particular website, let me know. I will do my best to get us there as well. But it's definitely a huge favor to us to subscribe and to listen and to download old episodes. And honestly, um, if you want to really, really, really support the podcast, you can auto-download across platforms. That's definitely huge as well. So thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. You can follow the site on Twitter at Battery Power SBN. We'll have much more in the future, both this week, this month, and uh, into 2023. So stick around. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.